0: Welcome to the Well-Balanced 360 podcast, where we dive into the latest and best tips on medicine and spirituality to help you master your health and overcome your fears so that you can feel your absolute best. I'm your host, Dr. Shivani, a licensed medical doctor, a yoga nerd, and a wellness enthusiast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here. Now let's dive in. Infertility is a topic I get asked about quite often. I'm lucky enough to be joined today by Dr. Tara Scott, who's a nationally recognized OBGYN and functional medicine doctor. On today's episode, you'll learn about what foods you should and shouldn't eat while trying to conceive, as well as what supplements you can and can't take. I'm excited to have you tune in. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Scott. I'm glad to be here. Yes. This is a very important topic. And a question I get asked a lot about is infertility. So you being in OBGYN, well, before we even get to that, can you give me a background of who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. So my background is OBGYN. That's where I started my practice very traditionally as a traditionally trained MD. I have been in practice almost 25 years and so the bulk of the start of it, was delivering babies, doing surgeries and regular things. And then actually I had my own infertility. So I struggled to get pregnant, never got pregnant without drugs. So that really led me to be interested in hormones and hormonal imbalances. So about 15 years ago, very early, I would only even practice at seven or eight years. I took like one year off of delivering babies. My kids were little. And I dug deep into studying hormones and hormonal imbalances. And then I became a certified menopause practitioner and then started doing a lot of hormone replacement therapy. That was around the time where hormones were bad. So women didn't know what to do. That was the perception. The more you learn, then you learn the less, you know. So then I started studying functional medicine, learning more about thyroid, about adrenal hormones, about gut, about cardiometabolic. And I did a fellowship through what is called MMI now is A4M. And so I got a board certification in 2012. And then I got a third board certification in integrative medicine. And so in 2013, I opened a separate practice and I kind of worked at both for a while. I still was in the traditional space. I stopped delivering, but I was still operating and doing office GYN. And then I'd work at my functional medicine practice a couple of days a week. And it just got hard to be in both spaces. You're either in or you're out, right? Mm -hmm. So in 2016, I retired from OBGYN to concentrate just on my functional medicine practice. And so that's what I've been doing. The next year, the hospital did hire me to be the medical director of integrative medicine. So I'm still kind of connected that way and teach the residents about their hormone issues and menopause and those kind of things. And I have another teaching job that I also lecture about this as well. So That's kind of my background. I don't know if you knew that I had infertility issues as well. So I feel like I've got that expertise of the doctor. And then I have a firsthand expertise of the patient. Even though my kids are all in college now, I mean, those days, I still remember how awful it was.
0: I feel like those are the questions I get the most is fertility. What do I eat? Where do I go? And I had no idea that that was your journey and your path. If you don't mind me asking, how old were you when you had these? So I started trying to get pregnant at 28 and all my life had painful periods, really,
1: really painful periods and suspected that I had endometriosis. But the only choice I was given was oral contraceptives. So it was put on oral contraceptives, what was on them for 10 years. When I finished my training, came time to go off and try to get pregnant. And then my periods became further and further apart. So they were irregular. So the first time I got pregnant with Clomid was kind of still a miracle because the timing was a little off. And the second time I had six months of Clomid that were failed. And then I had a laparoscopy where I was diagnosed with endometriosis. And then I had five months of gonadotropins injections, all failed. And I had a miscarriage. Then I had a hyperstimulation cycle and then I had IVF and that was successful. And I got twins out of that one. So it was a really rough pregnancy, but great kids. And I would probably do it all again because I was so desperate. I mean, all I ever wanted to do was be a mom. So that was the most important thing for me.
0: Well, wow, That's an incredible story and definitely a story that women can relate to. And so you brought up a good point about hormones. There's so much out there right now. Everyone's talking about it. And so for a couple that wants to become pregnant, what test would you recommend a woman and a man do prior to seeing a fertility specialist or an OBGYN? What are like the absolute must tests they need to get?
1: Well, basically, if I put on my traditional hat, we want to make sure there's ovulation. We want to make sure there's like the vessel is the uterus and tubes okay. And we want to make sure that the sperm is okay. So that's what is usually included in the traditional workup. Mm -hmm. So for a male, a semen analysis is really important because for a male factor, that's something that you want to rule out pretty early. Now, what I know now after all my training, and I didn't know then as far as what are the reasons that I had infertility? Well, endometriosis is one of the reasons you could have infertility if you have any scarring of the tubes. So a simple x-ray to look at, they put dye into your cervix. It's uncomfortable. I had that done and they see if the tubes, you know, if they can see the dye coming out that's an outpatient thing. If you're going to have a surgery for other medical causes to see like if you have pelvic pain, heavy periods, painful periods, pain with sex, those are symptoms of endometriosis. Right now, the only way to diagnose that is through a laparoscopy. And so Mm -hmm. it was the protocol of the infertility specialist that I was seeing after I had had the six failed cycles before they move on to injections for fertility that you had to have a laparoscopy. So that's why I had it, but it did confirm that at endometriosis. And I did have two more surgeries for endometriosis. And I will say that using the functional medicine approach that we do now, I have no endometriosis and no symptoms now. So I was incredible. Yeah. That's my experience. I'm not saying that everybody. So what I found out for me is I also had a problem. I didn't ovulate. I had something called estrogen dominance, which then feeds your endometriosis. And I also had Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So the Hashimoto's was diagnosed while I was going through my infertility drugs, but they didn't treat it in a holistic approach. So everything that goes along with that, if I would have known that now, my approach would be different. So this is a tangent to what is your question? We talked about checking the tubes, Mm -hmm. which is called HSG, pingogram or chromatubation at the time of surgery. Those have to be done generally. The HSG can be done by a radiologist, but it has to be ordered by your OBGYN. And then the diagnostic laparoscopy, obviously by your OBGYN. And the semen analysis, sometimes the family doctor will order it or the OBGYN will actually order it for the husband. You mm-hmm. need to order for that. And that's just, you need a specimen cup, you produce a specimen at home and then take it into the lab. So those are all things that are important. Now, as far as the hormone evaluation, that's really important as well. And so what is traditionally done is if there's any question about age, Mm -hmm. then at the beginning of your period on day two or three, we will check an FSH, which is a pituitary brain hormone and an estradiol. What those two things will tell us is are your eggs old? So that's important to know. Like, Is it hard for your body to get the egg ready to release? So if you think about how ovulation occurs, the brain sends a signal back to the ovary to say, hey, egg, it's time for you to grow. it kind of be like you've had a bunch of old men and they're sitting on a bench at the Y swimming laps. So you've got the lifeguard in his chair saying next. So the old man gets up, he dives in, he swims to the end comes back, gets out. And the lifeguard says next. Then the next guy goes, then he says next. And nobody moves, right? Because they're old and they're hard of hearing. So what happens, the lifeguard picks up his megaphone and yells next. So the FSH will be higher. If the FSH is higher, then we know ah, your eggs aren't that great of quality. We don't expect it to be like at some of my age at 28, but you know, a lot of professional women are delaying childbearing. So if you're, you know, anyone in your mid 30s, above 35 is considered advanced maternal age from an obstetric point of view. If the FSH is higher and the estradiol is higher than we expect, that could suggest it. There's some controversy as to when you should order it. It's called anti malarian hormone. It can be ordered any day of the week, I'm sorry, or the cycle. And basically that's an indirect measurement of how many follicles you have left or how many eggs you have left. And so I just recently read an article about that. They were saying you shouldn't order it unless someone is having infertility. So I know a lot of women are like, hey, I'm delaying childbearing. Should I get evaluated now? I'm not currently trying versus I've been trying for 18 months. The studies show that it's not an accurate test for if you are not experiencing infertility. Be that what it is. So that's basically the hormone workup. Sometimes they check thyroid. And again, traditionally, they'll check a TSH. Now, if I put on my functional medicine hat, I would say, well, we want to dive a little deeper. So we definitely would do a full thyroid panel, not just a TSH, a free T3, a free T4, and thyroid antibodies. So in my case, I did have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And when you have thyroid antibodies, what I didn't know then is it correlates a lot with gut issues, insensitivity. sensitivity. So then as a functional medicine provider, I would advise that patient to either eliminate gluten or consider cleaning up her diet. And we'll get to your diet question later. So we also do stool testing and it looks at the actual bacterial balance in your gut. I have seen that be a problem for some women with infertility. The next thing we would do is we would evaluate your hormones after ovulation. We would check your progesterone level. We would check your estradiol level and your estrone. So the balance of your estrogen, both estrogens, and your progesterone is important. Estroone usually isn't checked by traditional doctors, and sometimes they'll just check what's called a midluteal progesterone without the estrogen by it, so that you're not going to catch estrogen dominance that way. So we would also check that. Now, what else would we check in our functional workup? We'd look at your insulin. Do you have insulin resistance? Do you have too much testosterone? If you don't have optimal glucose metabolism, that's going to affect the way your body gets rid of estrogen. So those are all things that we would look at from a fertility standpoint. Another test I love to do for patients who are seeing me who want an infertility workup is the Dutch test. Are you familiar with the dried urine test? I am. So the dried urine test of complete hormones is looking at the way your body gets rid of estrogen, cortisol. So it's a good test because it's done usually after ovulation in the luteal phase, or there's one that is a cycle map that you could do throughout the cycle. But it's going to look at your estrogens, estradiol, estrone, estriol. It's going to look at how you metabolize them, which is very important. It's going to look at your androgens. There's some studies that show low DHEA correlates. Well, the studies don't show that low DHA correlates for infertility. There's studies that show unexplained infertility response to DHEA supplementation. So let me make sure I get that correct. So to me, that would mean the converse is true. If you have low DHA, it could be a problem. But that's not what was studied. What was studied was unexplained infertility and giving DHEA. So we always check DHEA also and then looking at just the, holistically at everything as far as a hormonal workup. So there's going to be a lot more in-depth than. If I was had my OBGYN hat on, it'd be a pap and a pelvic and a breast exam, the semen analysis, maybe the tubes, maybe not, and maybe the FSH day three.
0: Seems like a lot of tests, but for somebody that is experiencing problems with infertility, I feel it's best to kind of go through all of them. Do you feel as an OBGYN that every female that comes to you, do you go through the Dutch test, thyroid, gut, all of it, or is it dependent on who your patient is?
1: Well, it depends on what their main complaint is. In an ideal world, if everything was free, yeah, it'd be great. Everybody should get all of those tests. Like you said, they should get blood tests, they should get a stool test and they should get a Dutch test. But the problem is, is everybody's budgets are different and everybody's coverage is different. So we don't have like a protocol per se. We really try to individualize it based on the patient's complaint. So if someone's complaining of infertility, And they have absolutely no intestinal complaints. I may not do the stool test. And we would focus on what's like traditional blood testing. So we give you the order. You Mm -hmm. more than likely can see if your insurance will cover it because it's got a diagnosis code and an order code from a doctor. But everybody's plans are different. Maybe you have a high deductible that none of your labs are covered until you read a certain point. So I hate to say that it's covered by insurance all the time. It may or may not be. But we do try to run that first through your insurance, that type of blood work, because it is traditional blood work. It's just
0: maybe more depth. It's good to know. And in terms of tracking your ovulation and your cycles to see when you're the most fertile, is there something you recommend, an app, or what's the best way to track your cycles? Like I
1: said, I just dated myself. My kids are 22 and 19, so you know I went through this a long time ago, but there's weren't even iPhones back then. So there are a lot of great apps. One app that I recently signed up with is Floca, F-L-O-K-A. And so it does record your menstrual cycle, but also integrates with health tracking, which I love too, because you really can't neglect stress on how it affects your hormones. I, for the longest time, was using Iperiod, So I've got data on where my periods are, and they do not only track when your period comes, but they do have a field where you can track your cervical mucus. That's one way to monitor ovulation, whether or not you have that stretchy egg white mucus right before ovulation or the thick kind of dried up mucus for post ovulation. There are also ovulation predictor kits, which I'm sure are much better now than they were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. where you are doing a urinary test or an LH surge, which also correlates with ovulation. So I know, and I should have studied up before this podcast, there is a test. It's modern fertility. Have you heard of it? I have. Okay. So I know one of my patients recently did it. I don't know if it's a finger prick because it was blood test. It was like the FSH, like I said, on day three. And so, it was certain things, I think that's a direct to consumer test. Modern fertility, they have some kind of test that you can do as well. So, that would be an option for that. Tracking your cycles. Okay. And well, you're tracking your cycles, but for at home fertility testing. But there are a lot of other like LH ovulation predictor kits. Yeah.
0: I know for tracking my cycle, I think it's called My Flow. I used to use it just to track my cycle, which brings me to what we kind of covered before on the dietary recommendations. Do you feel there's a particular diet? I mean, there's all this stuff about seed cycling as well for increasing your fertility chances. And what foods should women avoid if they're trying to, besides the obvious, like sugar and fried foods? There's a
1: couple things that are important before you conceive. And the seed cycling, we actually recommend that for painful periods. And so basically the premise is You're supporting estrogen the first half of the month and you're supporting progesterone in the second half of the month. I don't know if it can provoke ovulation if you're not already ovulating, but I think it can modulate those levels if you're having a symptom of estrogen dominance like painful periods. So I know younger girls who have really had great results with that as Mm -hmm. far as painful periods. I'm not familiar with the statistics as far as fertility. Now, certainly something like that isn't going to harm you. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some people that don't need estrogen to be supported and raised at the beginning of the cycle. The problem is they have too much estrogen. So if you're following that verbatim, you're actually going to be doing the seeds to increase your estrogen at the beginning of the cycle, which you don't really need. You just need the support at the end of the cycle. So as far as diet, I mean, I'm shocked at how much sugar affects your estrogen detoxification. So Mm -hmm. for sure... And we're not talking no sugar at all, like a Whole30, but really cutting back on sugar and processed food is huge. Also alcohol. And so alcohol slows down estrogen detoxification. Some studies say that seven drinks a week will help reduce your risk of cancers, but I would say seven drinks a week is probably a lot for estrogen detoxification. So moderation, a drink or two a couple times a month. I don't know. I don't know that that's actually been published. So, low alcohol. The other big thing is there are a lot of studies on toxins and endocrine disruptors and phthalates and those kind of things. And I really suggest women do a detox before they're trying to get pregnant because that environmental work group had published a study, I don't know how several years ago, about how many toxins are actually in the umbilical cord. And so, those are things that you want to do a detox before, including, like I said, the sugar, the alcohol. Depending on who you read, some people say the meat because of the antibiotics and hormones in meat, which gives you extra estrogen. So you might want to do a detox, including a time of no meat. Sarah Gottfried wrote something called the Hormone Reset Diet. It's a 21-day, and she kind of goes through each food and what hormone it does. It's not aimed at fertility, but it would be something that potentially would be useful as kind of like a boost for your hormones. That's different than a detox. A detox can be an elimination diet, but also coupled with supplements to support actual detoxification in your liver and your gut. And obviously you want to make sure your gut's working before you do any kind of liver detox. Foods that support estrogen detoxification are cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, kale, cabbage, also blueberries. Believe it or not, caffeine does also help. Those are always good things to have in your diet. Having a healthy microbiome is really essential for fertility and estrogen detoxification because even though your liver will detoxify your estrogen, it's got to dump into your gut. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a healthy gut and you have too much bacteria, they will produce an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase, which will send that estrogen right back into your system. Mm -hmm. So even three days of a whole food, mostly plant diet is enough to reset the microbiome in your diet. So three days of just raw plants that would be enough to reset your microbiome.
0: Great to know. And you touched on this a little bit, supplements. The whole supplement world and the wellness world, it's like going crazy with, you should take this for fertility. You should take this for your gut. You should take this for your mind. In relation to fertility, I've been hearing so much about melatonin, women taking extra DHEA, a coenzyme Q10. What do you recommend for females trying to conceive do you recommend anything at all out of all of those supplements?
1: You want to run down your list and I can comment on each one individually? or Sure. Let's start with coenzyme Q10. Okay, so coenzyme Q10 has antioxidant properties that also is known to support mitochondrial energy and mitochondrial working. So while it also offers benefit to cardiovascular health. I honestly don't know offhand about any support to fertility. It's not one that I have heard linked to fertility. It has a lot of benefits Mm -hmm. for energy, but I'm not sure that's one that I have heard. It could be. I'm just not aware of it. What about melatonin? So melatonin is a selective estrogen receptor modulator, actually, and it's produced in the pineal gland in response to light. So when you sleep, obviously it's dark and you should have more melatonin. So melatonin also mirrors cortisol, which is your stress hormone. So I believe that melatonin would be helpful to modulate your cortisol and your estrogen in some fashion, but it wouldn't be one that's totally on the top of my list unless you're having problems sleeping. Mm -hmm. Folic acid? That's a good question. I would recommend folate. Not folic acid. So that's a big conundrum. When I was doing OB, there were all these studies on MTHFR and mm-hmm. it's to infertility. Actually, I have three out of four abnormal MTHFR SNPs. So the study recommended folic acid. Now, if you have MTHFR, you likely cannot use folic acid. You can't get that form into your cell to reduce it. Mm. So the study showed that it didn't prevent miscarriage and it was ineffective. So at first everyone was getting four milligrams of folic acid and then they said, Hey, it didn't really help. Well, no wonder it didn't help because you have to be able to convert it to get it into the cell. So people were taking all this high dose folic acid and it wasn't doing what it should. Now, if they had studied folate or five methyl tetrahydrofolate mm-hmm. in its natural form, they may have seen a different outcome. So I don't ever recommend anyone taking folic acid, but I do recommend folate or methylfolate. Mm, Good to
0: know. It is 5-MTHF. Can you get that at like a Whole Foods or? Yeah,
1: you just have to look at a lot of supplements might already say, but you got to check if it says folic acid or folate. And so some of the prenatal vitamins, the prescription prenatal vitamins were switching over to 5-MTHF instead of folic acid. But Mm -hmm. sometimes if you're taking too much folic acid, it does the opposite. It actually blocks your body from being able to use the 5-MTHF. So Mm -hmm. it's doing more harm than it is good.
0: What about DHEA?
1: DHEA, as I mentioned, there have been studies using DHEA high dose from what we would use as a supplementation, but high dose in these studies for unexplained infertility. I'm getting ready to do a webinar for Dutch on DHEA and testosterone next week. So I actually kind of looked into this data and it is mixed. There's some studies that say it helps. Mm-hmm. some studies, it doesn't. Now in these studies, I don't believe they extrapolated out here. People with low DHEA, let's study them versus people with normal DHEA. Because obviously if you have normal DHEA. I'm not sure what a high dose is going to do as far as increase your infertility. I hazard a guess that those people with the low might have a bigger benefit. I've used it. I definitely do not think you should take it without consulting your provider. I have recommended it to some of my patients who are struggling with infertility, but I always check their levels and I don't just make a blanket recommendation. Mm. Vitamin D? Vitamin D is huge. And yes, there is a link with vitamin D is a hormone, not a vitamin. And there's a huge link with your well-being. And I do believe there have been studies on fertility and vitamin D. And so I live in the North Midwest and nobody where I live ever has a normal vitamin D unless they supplement with it. Mm -hmm. So I think it is important to check your levels and take it because the recommendation is like four or 800 units, maybe a thousand or 2000. So it's well under what people need. And a lot of people have what's called vitamin D SNPs. So they aren't able to use it and metabolize it. So they might take higher doses, but not have levels. So we always measure the levels and make a targeted recommendation based on that. But I think it's an important supplement.
0: And lastly, NAC slash NAD.
1: So NAC and NAD are two separate things. NAC, N-acetylcysteine is a precursor to something called glutathione. And so NAC is something that does support healthy estrogen metabolism. And I actually don't know if it has an effect on your cervical mucus. I think it might, because I know it has an effect on your, like if if you're congested, I'm going to guess it has a positive effect on your cervical mucus, I read somewhere. But what I know most about it is that it does have a positive effect on your detoxification. And specifically, if you're shunting too many down the bad pathways of the harmful metabolites and estrogen detox, that's one of the things we give to kind of decrease those metabolites. Now, NAD is some kind of B vitamin, which I can't remember right now, but it's involved mostly in energy. And so that may or may not be helpful for your overall well-being specifically, but it's not directly related to your estrogen detox.
0: Understood. And you gave some great info today, and it's always important for anybody looking for advice on fertility to obviously check in with your doctor first and get all the right labs and tests done prior to maybe seeing a fertility specialist. What advice would you give a couple for stress? Because obviously when you're going through something such as conceiving, you're going to be going through stress. So what advice would you give a couple going through that? Do you have any techniques that you offer? Well, I will tell you, stress 100% affects ovulation because
1: high cortisol will suppress the pituitary gland. So if you don't release your FSH and LH, you can't ovulate. So a lot of people skip their periods when they're stressed. And when I was going through my infertility, I was obsessed because, you know, every day you're counting every day. And when I was doing the injections, you're like going in for ultrasounds and then injections and you're heating yourself up twice a day and then you're getting blood level. It consumes your life. So when it came time for me to do IVF, my husband's grandmother just got diagnosed with ovarian cancer. My father got diagnosed with prostate cancer. And I was like, this is the worst possible timing for our cycle, right? But we had already committed. So I didn't think about it at all, which I think probably helped because I wasn't obsessing about the cycle. So I think if anything, I was distracted. I guess I wouldn't say I was less stressed, but I mean, a little bit maybe because I was distracted about other people. And I did get pregnant that cycle, but I do know there's definitely a correlation with stress. And so over the years, I've become a stress expert because of, I guess, my stressful life and lots of things that have happened in my life. But the thing that I have seen that helps the most is meditation. So meditation, either a guided meditation with an app. I love Headspace. There's Calm app. There is the Insight Timer that people like. There's also something that we recommend called Heart Math, and that's heart rate variability. That's got some really great data on how it lowers cortisol and increases DHEA without any supplements. So it is really important, even just something simple as breathing, box breathing, taking a breath in for four counts, holding it for four counts, breathing out for four counts, and holding it for four counts. If you sat and breathed for three times a day, we don't do that. We're always like, go, 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 go. We're not breathing. Mm-hmm actually, that is fundamental, again, when you're going through this, because it is a very stressful process. Like I said, I didn't know that at the time. So I did none of that. But I absolutely recommend that for couples.
0: I agree with you. Meditation is a huge practice for me right now. It's definitely a game changer in terms of calming my mind. So would you say there's a connection between medicine and spirituality? Do you believe they're one and up the same or what's your viewpoint on this?
1: I definitely think there is a connection. So in what I do, I mean, I see a lot of people that have been to a lot of places and haven't gotten answers. And I've also seen people who have no hope, right? And so hope is different from optimism. Optimism is the belief that everything's going to turn out okay. Okay. But hope is the belief that everything will be okay, even in the face of difficulty, right? And so that I think is connected to people's spirituality. I can draw some connections when people have hope. Well, I think if they have a strong spiritual practice for whatever God you believe in, whatever your spirituality practice is, there's some belief in another being, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's important to you, generally you'll have hope. And if you have hope, generally I will see better outcomes for people. So that's actually kind of the subject of I'm giving a TED talk this fall. And so- Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Well, it's TEDx, I guess. I feel so strongly about, I have seen people's hope taken away and seen bad outcomes versus how can you say that that person is never going to have blah, blah, blah. Even when I got pregnant, obviously I went through all that. So then my sisters, both, whatever reason, got married later, didn't try to get pregnant till later. Here's me at 29, not being able to get pregnant. So they're trying in their late 30s. My older sister was 40, then 42. She didn't have any problems. My younger sister went to an infertility specialist and went through the whole workup and sat down in the office and they said, there's virtually no chance you're going to get pregnant by yourself based on these tests. How devastating that was. Well, she went home and she was already pregnant. Oh, wow. Yeah. So again, that's one of my things is like, why do people say these? I think there's some kind of, Compromise between not giving false hope and giving hope, right, and not extinguishing hope. Could you give a realistic expectation, but in a way that you don't say you'll never get pregnant? Mm-hmm. You no, know, so I feel pretty strongly about that. So I think it's a roundabout answer to your question. Absolutely, it is a hundred percent linked. One of the earliest books I read on this is—I might be saying the wrong. It's Bernie Sagal. It was like "Face Love and Miracles" or something like that. Mm-hmm. He talked about one guy who. Got rectal cancer because he always was thinking how his son was a pain in the butt, you know, uh-huh. or something. Like how the body holds your emotions or whatever mm-hmm. and how in his observation, he was a surgeon, how cancer patients, that was so important in their recovery and their mm-hmm. outcome based on that. So yes, absolutely. I'm a huge believer in it. I don't know, being a traditionally trained, I don't know uh-huh. a lot about it. I continue to learn about it, but I think it's huge. Well, thank you. And where can people find you? My website is revitalizedmed.com. And on there, there's links to my academy. I do have like a short course on infertility that people can look at. It's a holistic approach to infertility that you can enroll in. If you want to understand what we would look at as an integrative gynecologist, I've got lots of free content on YouTube under Tara Scott MD videos, and then Facebook and Instagram at revitalizedmed always trying to put out some free content for people as well. And I also have a free webinar on my website as well. It talks kind of about integrated approach to women's health, a little bit about my journey and what are the things that I think caused my infertility.
0: So important to know and thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story as well. It was so great to have you today. Thank you, Dr. Scott. Thanks for all you do. I know
1: this is a lot of work and for you just to try to support people and get information out, it is a lot of work and I appreciate it. And I know the women. And men that listen to your podcast will also appreciate it.
0: Thank you, I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Well-Balanced 360 podcast. I'm truly grateful for all of you and excited to have you join me on this health and wellness journey. Please be sure to stay connected with me over at drshivaniamine.com or any of my social media platforms. If you found this episode to be helpful, I would truly appreciate it if you would also hit that subscribe button and make sure to tell all your friends so you don't miss any future episodes. I'll catch you next week.